Hey, I'm Scott McIntyre. And I'm Christina McIntyre. Welcome to the Enduring Hope Podcast, where we encourage you to trust God in every circumstance. If you've ever spent quality time with a preschool age kid, you probably wish you had a dollar for every time they asked why. That's because one answered why is almost never enough. A lot of times a child will ask me, why are you holding that in your hand? To which I reply, this is my cane and my eyes don't work. So this helps me feel the ground in front of me so I don't run into something. And then it might be, why don't your eyes work? And you can imagine how it could go on. (laughs) Our oldest, Christian, went through that same why phase. And our youngest, Stella, is about to enter into it. (laughs) Children are curious about the world. And while fielding their questions can be tiring at times, it's important for us to seize these opportunities. Their questions are some of the best invitations to supply trustworthy answers and deepen relationships. But there are also times as parents when the best answer we can give our children is because I said so. (laughs) Sometimes it's because they didn't really want an answer and we're just testing our authority. But other times it's because we know they aren't developmentally ready to understand the answer and we ask them to simply trust us. When we go to God with our adult-sized questions, Some questions he clearly answers in scripture, but others seem to be met with a divine because I said so. And then sometimes it's a little bit of both. A great example is a weighty question I bet a lot of us have asked at one level or another. Why did Jesus have to die? We think, surely God could have saved humanity in a more humane way, or that sounds kind of violent for a God who's supposed to be loving. Now, I certainly want to be sensitive to anyone who has seriously struggled with this question. And I know of people in my own life who still cannot come to terms with God's answer. But asking the question, why did Jesus have to die, is a little bit like asking, why does gravity have to pull us down? You know, in other words, a big part of this comes down to who God is. There are many attributes of God's character, and one of those is God's justice. Because we're God's creation, the fact that in our humanity we so often desire justice shouldn't surprise us. Just look at all the movements started in the name of justice in our culture today. The bottom line is that it's normal to want justice to be served. The only problem is that we're quick to want justice on our terms. But if we believe that God made the world and everything in it, including us, then we shouldn't be surprised to learn that God's standards, not ours, are the standards by which we all will be judged. We're plainly told in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned, and in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Sin is basically any choice we make, however big or small, to put our own ways above God's ways to worship ourselves instead of worshiping God. And this death isn't just physical. It's ultimately experienced as eternal separation from God. Any and all sin is punishable by this ultimate separation. Furthermore, we cannot work our way back into God's good graces or settle our debt in any other way. The relational standing of all humanity with God was fundamentally fractured when Adam and Eve sinned. And the stain of that fracture renders even our most noble deeds powerless to save us. Listen to Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. 
Now, in a sense, Jesus didn't have to die. God could have left us in our helpless state, unable to save ourselves. But God is not only just, he's also loving. He loves us more than we can ever know. In Genesis 3, before God even spells out the specific consequences for Adam and Eve's rebellion, God gives us hope. Listen to Genesis 3.15. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, when sin first entered the world, God promised he would send a savior to defeat the serpent in the end. Israel held on to this hope for centuries, believing that one day this savior would come. And God revealed some of what this would eventually look like through the institution and execution of Israel's sacrificial system. But finally, Jesus is revealed to be the long-awaited Savior who, by his own blood, would save. In John 1.29, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming toward him and proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus willingly died in order that justice could be carried out for our sins and in order that you and I might be spared from the wrath of God. Hebrews 9.22 tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's why the thought of Jesus's blood being shed is both so sobering and so precious to those who trust him. Jesus's death on the cross is not the end of the narrative, but it's such an important part of the narrative. And without it, we all would be dead in our sins. We can't truly appreciate the hope and the life we have in Jesus until we understand how hopeless and dead we are without him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says it so beautifully. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. As you reflect on the depth of the love of Jesus for you today, a love he was willing to die for, we pray you will respond in faith, surrendering to his love and trusting that your sin is nailed to the cross once and for all. Please be sure to follow and subscribe so we can share more encouragement with you in the weeks to come.